So yeah, as Rob mentioned, do keep your Bibles open with you, John 15. We will um, stick to that as we go through the sermon. So um, before we go to our passage for the benefit of those who were not here last Sunday, or maybe if maybe you just forget like myself, um, the thing that we looked at last time was we talked about really the, the metaphor that Jesus uses here. And he said that God is the vine dresser, okay? So you see him in that picture. And then Jesus is the vine, okay? And then we learned that we are the branches. So the Christians, okay, the people of God are the branches. And then he prunes them, of course, right? So he removes all those extra stuff. And when he prunes them, they bear fruit, which is they give glory to God. Yeah, so that's the really that's the basic gist of what we looked at last week in pictures, and uh, we we um, had this idea that we are called to bear much fruit, and the way we bear much fruit is by abiding in the vine. So, what what does it mean to bear much fruit? It is to give glory to God, glorifying God in all that you do, and by abiding in the vine, what what the text is saying is that abiding in the vine is. By obeying Jesus the same way Jesus obeyed God. Okay, so that's that's really the the the, the basic idea. And now we're um, carrying on with this passage, and we're looking at from verse twelve to seventeen. We are still on the topic of fruit bearing. We're still on the topic of uh, fruit bearing, as we see uh, Jesus. Do keep your open uh, your Bibles open with you and follow through with me. You can see Jesus referring to abiding in bearing fruit. If you look at verse sixteen, okay, he says there that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So we're still on the same topic. However, you'll notice that on our passage on verse twelve, which is where we will pick up, verse twelve, it starts with Jesus's commandment to. Love one another as I have loved you. Okay? And at the end of that passage, at the end of the paragraph on verse 17, it ends with this. It says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Okay? So from the beginning and the end of the paragraph, we already know what this passage is going to be about. Isn't it? We already know what the passage is going to be about. Jesus commands his disciples to love one another. And in fact, this is not the first time that Jesus gives this command to his disciples in the same conversation. So the the song we just sang, actually, is not from this passage. It's from John chapter 13. So if you quickly just flick through one page, you know, you can see that in John chapter 13 from verse 34, Jesus says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the point that Jesus is making in this section is that love is what will distinguish Jesus' disciples from the rest of the world. He says that people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's fascinating, isn't it? Because of all the possible character or attributes 
available, Jesus chose to remind his disciples to love. Jesus didn't say, people will know you are my disciples because you work the hardest. Jesus didn't say, people will know you are my disciples because you are the smartest group or the most creative group. Or because you will be the wealthiest or the greatest in whatever form. Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's easy. You might think, oh, that's easy. Jesus said we must love one another. Loving people is not hard. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, I see some giggles there. Yeah. I think, uh, I, think, I think true love is hard, isn't it? Because loving people is not hard if we ourselves define what love is, right? If we ourselves come up with our definition of love, then loving is not hard. If we define love as that warm, fuzzy feeling, okay, we feel towards another person, then loving someone is easy. If we define love as an abstract idea that cannot be understood, that we cannot control, that we cannot help, then it is easy to love someone, right? After all, you don't control it. It just happens, okay? If we define love in the same way that our culture today defines love, then it is easy because the way love is in our society, in the world, it's fleeting, it's temporary. It changes, yeah? It's easy to love someone when divorce is an option, when abortion is an option, when euthanasia is an option, when other get-out-of-jail cards are available as options to you. But loving people in a biblical way is not easy. Loving people in a biblical sense is not abstract. And it's definitely not fuzzy, okay? Jesus doesn't go around the bush explaining what he's talking about. If it was that easy to love, then every single community would be doing it by now, okay? But they don't. And the point is that according to Jesus, this type of love that he is talking about is a distinguishing mark of the Christian community. And so when Jesus commands us to love one another, we almost have to throw everything we know about love according to how the world defines it and redefine love from Jesus' words from this passage. Last week we already saw, right, that Jesus touched upon this topic on verse 9 and 10. So if you look with me on verse 9 and 10, when Jesus says, verse 9 and 10, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And in verse 14, If you look at verse 14, Jesus reminds them of this same idea, okay? Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So in relation to Jesus, in relation to Jesus, in relation to God, loving Jesus is keeping his commandments, okay? Loving Jesus is keeping his commandments. Loving Jesus is obeying Jesus, yeah? 
And so he gives us this commandment. Jesus says, love one another. The question that you might ask is this. If loving Jesus means obeying his commandments, what does it look like for me to love the church? What does it look like for me to love the church? Or what does it look like for us to love one another? Are you ready for this? Because the, the answer is right there in plain sight in our passage. If you look at verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 and 13. He says, My commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. Okay? So to love the church is to love the church in the same way that Jesus loved the church. And in case we need to be reminded of how Jesus loved the church, John explicitly tells us, what he means on verse 13 when he says, when Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I hope this is not big news to most of you, but that is the love that we are called to in relation to each other. It is a sacrificial kind of love and the picture that we cannot escape in our minds that Jesus puts in our minds is what? It's the cross, right? When Jesus says, love the church just as I have loved you. When Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, the picture that comes to our minds is the cross. Because that is how Jesus loved us. How Jesus carried the cross all the way to Golgotha. How he was whipped and spat at. How he hung on the cross and separated from God at a moment. How he died so that our sins can be forgiven. It is hard to escape the picture that Jesus puts in our minds. Because that... Is the heart of Jesus' love for us, that he willingly gave up his life so that we can live our life to the full. And Jesus in verse 13 tells his disciples to do likewise. Love each other just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And in this verse, Jesus gives us this simple but weighty request to lay our lives down for each other. This is not the first time we touched on this topic, or if you remember when we looked at the I am the good shepherd, okay? In the I am the good shepherd, we talked about the duty of the shepherd to lay his life down for his sheep. And in this passage, Jesus talks about our duty as a church to lay our life down for each other. To lay your life down for one another means to carry each other's burdens. To support each other in hard times when 
people are adjusting to new family life, when they lose someone they love, when they lose their jobs or their homes, when people are struggling from day to day because health is just difficult and relationships with their family is just difficult. The sacrificial kind of love that goes out of their way to benefit the other person in need. That's the type of love that is in view here. To love one another is to spur each other on to good works, encouraging each other to read the Bible, to join in small groups, to attend church, to take courage and grow in Christian service. The sacrificial kind of love that promotes people, lifts them up to exercise their gifts and reach their full potential and not putting them down or envying them, but rejoicing with them as they experience God's blessing upon them. To love one another is to exercise self-control, the sacrificial kind of love that demotes yourself, okay? You demote yourself and kill off your pride and your boasting so that others do not feel humiliated or intimidated and weak. So that people can serve Jesus without fear of harsh criticism or judgment. To love one another is to bear with one another. As as, as Peter puts it, how many times do I have to forgive this annoying guy? You know, 70 times 7, unlimitedly, Jesus says. The sacrificial kind of love that covers a multitude of sins, right? That you are happy to ignore that person's annoying habits so that you can focus on what they truly need to grow in their relationship with Jesus. To love one another is to restore a lost brother or sister. The sacrificial kind of love that promotes mercy, that does not leave others to face God's judgment. Compassion not condemnation. The sacrificial kind of love that is kind and patient enough to keep trying, to keep reaching, always hoping that one day this lost brother or sister will be brought back to Jesus once more. To love one another is the willingness to confront another brother or sister of their sin. The sacrificial kind of love that is willing to lose the benefits of your friendship for the sake of saving their soul. And here's my question for you. Is that the kind of love you have for the church? Is that the kind of love that you have for the church? If so, praise God. And if there are any areas of improvement in your life that you think you need to work on, then pray to the Father. The promise of Jesus is there, and he tells us twice in this passage. On verse 7 and on verse 16, he says, Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I know in my life that I fall short in so many areas and as I prepare my sermon, I was seeking the Lord to forgive and to grow me in this area of loving the church. 
But you know, I, we, we all have to remind ourselves that we don't shy away with what the passage is saying just because we fall short at it, right? Or the more we repent and obey that the Lord may give us the strength to honor him. Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you, Jesus says. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So if you pray for growth and your love for the church, the Lord will do that. Now, I, I, I do not know the ins and outs of everyone's relationship in the church, but another question worth considering is this. Is this the kind of love that you experience in this church? I don't know, maybe some of us are not quite sure if we want to hear the answer to that. <laughs> if it's not a good one. Um, if yes, you know, again, praise God, right? Praise God. If you experience the love of the church for you, then praise God for the Lord has granted you something that can only ever be found in the church of God. This is a distinct march mark of the church but maybe if there are some failings there then I ask you to show mercy and forgiveness pray that the father will transform us to be the church Jesus wants us to be maybe you feel that you have been wronged by someone in 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 the church family and then I ask you to show mercy and forgiveness just like Jesus giving us a fresh start when he forgave us of our sins. Make a fresh start with your relationships by forgiving people who have wronged you and starting again. There's this uh, story I heard about these brothers. They were twins. And uh, they're like, uh, they're joined to the hip, so to speak. You know, when the twins are small, you know, their parents dress them up in the same clothes. They go to the same school. They play the same sports. And as they grow older, they were really close. And when their father died, they were so close. Actually, they didn't even get married. You know, I guess they they didn't really think they needed anybody else because they were brothers. Mm -hmm. And so when their father died, they inherited his shop. Okay. And they run the shop together. And it was great. Their relationship was great. And one day something changed. Someone came to their shop and uh, he bought something and he um, gave the money to one of the brothers. The brother left it in the counter. The guy goes off, okay? And uh, the money was in the counter, so he went at the back because he needed to grab something else. And when he came back, he looked at the counter and the money was gone. So he spoke to his brother and he said, did you take the money? It's like, no. And then he said, no, did you take the money? Because we're the only two people in this room. It must have been you. And then the other brother said, no. You know, he got so annoyed and they had an argument about it. They never forgot that day. Because after that day, they had bickering here, bickering there. And that thing always comes up. And, And the conflict grew and grew to the point that they decided to divide the shop between them. And they started their own shop, and it caused a division among the community. The two brothers, you know, he had his own shop, he had his own shop, and they were fighting. And, and because of that, money on the counter, you know. 
They grew old. They grew old and they were still fighting. They were known to be the brothers. This is a true story. They were known to be brothers who were next to each other, selling the same stuff. And then one day, a, drive, a car stops by. You know, this man, he knocks at the door and he said, Are you the owner of this shop? One of the brothers said, Yeah, it's me. And he said, Well, if that's the case, I want to say sorry to you. Because, you know, one day... I came to your shop when, you know, I was young and stupid and I stole the money from the counter. And he wept. you know. He, he called his brother and the man said the same story and he wept too. And they both weep. The point that I want us to take from this is that sin just grows. The only way to stop it is to Seek reconciliation and start over. You have to sort it out before it becomes very big. Of course, the love we have for the church goes beyond our own local church, but also extends outside also, right? Last week, we prayed for our partner church who showed their love for us by supporting us financially. A great example of Christians loving other Christians they do not see regularly. And we are grateful for the love we receive from our other partner churches who um, sent us preachers here for the month of January. You know, and how Commission, for example, shows their love for us by providing us with training and resources for us to be an effective gospel witness. In the same way, We also provide love, right? We give love to our brothers and sisters across the country with the Amy denomination and to Grace Church in Sri Lanka. It's a cycle of blessing again, paying forward. You know, the love that you receive, you, you, you pay it forward to the next church. And that's definitely the right thing to do because Jesus says love one another, just as I have loved you. That's the reason why churches do that. It's because they love us. And it's because we love them. That's why we support them. And after Jesus commands his disciples to love one another, he tells them on verse 14. If you look with me on verse 14, he says this. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. What's going on here exactly? It seems like in verse 12 and 13, Jesus gives his disciples a specific command to follow, which is to love one another. Okay, He gives it a level of importance so to speak. However, we have not really left the theme of abiding in Jesus, right? As I explained before, because we see Jesus comes back on that on verse 16 when he says, bear fruit and your fruit shall abide. Or to put it in another way, Jesus tells us to obey his commandments, especially this one, he says. Jesus tells us to obey his commandments, especially this one, which is to love one another. And then Jesus tells us that when he tells us to obey, 
He does not tell it like we're just a bunch of servants. Yeah? That's what Jesus is saying. When, when he tells us to obey, he does not tell it to us like we're just a bunch of servants. He tells us that we are part of God's plan because we are in the know, so to speak. Okay? We know what God is doing. Now, those of you in the world of work will recognize this very clearly, especially if you work in um, large organizations, right? When you're an employee, sometimes you receive like a command from the top, right? One day you, you receive a command from the top. Maybe they're doing budget cuts. Maybe they're doing a restructuring program. And then all of a sudden you're like, what? I never knew about this. How could you just do this on the day, you know? And you're like, you don't even know what, what we're doing here on the ground and you can't have a say, right? That's, that's like a typical master-servant relationship. It's very top-down, okay? It's very top-down. You do as I say, when I say it, no questions asked. And you never know until it happens. And that's quite a common thing in the workplace, But the relationship we have with Jesus is not only a master-servant relationship. Of course, he is our master, right? Of course, he is our master. But But it is also one of friendship and partnership. Because Jesus tells us of God's plans and purposes. We talked about this last week, right? What is God's purpose? What is the purpose of our lives and stuff. God tells us these plans. We know. We know the plan of God to rescue sinners from death and judgment through Jesus' death on the cross. We know that. And we know his plan to bring people to the kingdom of Jesus where sin is no more and we can live and enjoy life to the full. We know that, right? We are part of God's plan. Not only does Jesus tell us what his plan is, he also tells us that we are part of this plan. Isn't that great? You know, not only does, doesn't Jesus tell us what his plan is, but he also tells us we are part of this plan. We are an important part of that mission. Okay, because look with me on verse 16. Look with me on verse 16, what Jesus says. So in verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Imagine, imagine for a moment... Take yourself out from your seats and transport yourself at that very moment in Jerusalem when Jesus was speaking to those 11 people. Picture yourself being one of those 11 disciples and Jesus is talking to you at this time and he says, back into church. You know, I'm, I'm leaving you. Because I will be crucified. I will go to my father's house. But don't worry. I will give you 
the Holy Spirit who will be your helper. This is what Jesus said in this whole discourse to the disciples. And he says, this is the thing that I want you to remember when I'm gone. Jesus tells them, and listen to this. He tells them, this is what I want you to know. He says, when I go, I want you to love one another. And he tells them, I am giving you the secret, the mystery of the plan that my father and I had from the very beginning of time to rescue people from their sin and the judgment that is to come. I am revealing all of this to you. I am taking everybody with me to the kingdom of heaven, whoever will believe. And you will be part of this mission. You are an important plan. You you are an important part of this plan. And I am choosing you. And I am appointing you to go and bear fruit. And that your fruit may abide. And then he tells them, anything you need, whatever resource you need to execute this plan, my father will give it to you. Isn't that amazing? You know, that is what's going on here. Jesus tells his disciples to love one another because they are on a mission that requires them to love one another in order for them to successfully accomplish their mission to reach the world for Jesus. Did you get that? And I hope that is clear. Jesus has given the church a mission to preach the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. That is at the core of what it means to glorify God. Yes, to bear fruit means to glorify God in every way. We, we, we looked at that, right? We said glorify God in all that you do. That, that could mean the character stuff like the fruits of the Spirit, love, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and all of that. But at the core of what Jesus is saying to this, his disciples at that time, he is saying bear fruit. Go on a mission and bear fruit. Spread out. And I wonder if you think they were successful or not. What do you guys think? Yeah, I reckon they were. Otherwise, we wouldn't exist right now, right? But the mission is not finished. The mission is not finished. Now we are part of that mission. In the same way that the specific command that Jesus wants us to follow is to love one another, the specific fruit that is in view here is to bear fruit by making disciples. Let's do a quick recap of that uh, passage. So as we talked about bear much fruit by abiding in the vine is like the 
application, right? So, and we said that bear much fruit, what it means to bear fruit is to glorify God in all that you do. Uh, we know that because of verse 8, for example, you know, where, where, where Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified. We know that because of the Old Testament context. And then we say that you bear much fruit by abiding in the vine, by obeying Jesus, by remaining in him, abiding, remaining, sticking, right? And we stick to Jesus mainly by obeying him. And we do that in the same way that Jesus obeyed God. And of course now, we, we come to some specific stuff that Jesus is saying on verse 12, because he says to, to bear much fruit, really to go and bear fruit, especially in the context of the disciples, is related to making disciples for Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is leaving them and he tells them, go and bear fruit. And by abiding in the vine, Jesus is saying, Obey Jesus, a specific command to love the church the same way Jesus does. And I think if we think about this as a church, what this means is that disciple-making is not a solo mission. Okay? It's not a solo mission. Disciple-making is not a solo mission, but a teamwork Activity that is done by the church together to fulfill God's mission to reach the world. Let me repeat, disciple making is not a solo mission, but a teamwork activity that is done by the church together to fulfill God's mission to reach the world. Jesus says, love one another. The church working together is essential to achieve success in mission work. Why? Because we need each other in order to fulfill God's mission. That is fundamentally what it means, right? I wonder, and I wonder if you ever made that connection between the two things in that way before. You know, loving the church and disciple-making, evangelism. I wonder if you made the, the connection between the two things in, in, in this way before. Or is your view of evangelism some form of individual performance, maybe? Or maybe your view is like a job for the professionals only to do, right? Leave it to the professionals. You hear that uh, sentiment in some churches, or maybe your view of evangelism is always directly talking to unbelievers. Actually, it's not. Have you ever considered the importance of loving the church in order to fulfill God's mission to reach the world? Again, of all things, of all things that Jesus could have said, he decided to say, love one another. We saw that earlier. We sang that song in John chapter 13, 34. Of all the things that Jesus could have left them, he decided to say, of all the commands, he highlighted this, love one another. And again, out of all the things Jesus could have prayed for, the last prayer that Jesus gives in John 17, in John 17, verse 20, you can see this. The last prayer 
that Jesus prayed for before he goes to the cross. He prays for the disciples in this way. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It is this church loving one another and working together and working like one person that causes the world to believe that God sent Jesus. In other words, if a church loves one another, then they will have an effective gospel witness. So I guess if we come to the specifics and we think, how do we spot if we love the church? Or how do we spot a church, you know, that loves each other? And I'm not sure what your thoughts are about this. How do we spot if we are a church that love one another? And I've always uh, thought about this and I thought about this. And I think that the best way to tell if a church loves is to spot the weakest members of the congregation and see if they are cared for. It is to spot the weakest members of the congregation and see if they are cared for. Let me tell you, this church, activities which show love to the weakest members of the church is not a waste of time. Some would love to think, okay? It is not a waste of time. They are not a distraction to the mission. They are the foundation of our mission when reaching backcountry. That means if, for example, if you're a mom at home looking after your kids or doing Sunday school at the back, that's not a distraction to the mission. That is an important job as it shows that in the church of God, Children have immense value, not the way the world sees them. People think that we've moved on from this, but actually we haven't. We see that in the time of Jesus, they didn't didn't want the children to come to Jesus. And we see that today. You know, that's how the world sees children. They're just a distraction. It's crazy. The first thing the government does in this lockdown is try to work out how to open those childcare facilities in schools so that they don't distract their parents for, from, from working for the economy. Not so in the Church of Jesus. And you have to remember that. The weakest members of our body, we exalt and serve for the glory of God because it is through our love for the weakest members of the body 
that Jesus is most glorified. Even when they contribute nothing to your eyes. It is when we care for the vulnerable in our church that our message is believed. The weak members of the body are not a distraction. Okay? It is through our love for them that we present the gospel attractive to the world. That's not to say, of course, that we should give up gospel preaching and be internally focused, right? It just means that we need to consider the division of labor. We don't have to do the same things, but we have to do what we do for the common goal for reaching back and tree for Jesus. In Acts 6, in Acts chapter 6, as the church grew, you can turn with me to Acts 6, we can read it actually. As the church grew, they had an increase of widows in the church, another weak members of the church body. Now, widows back in the day were um, basically, they can't work, okay? Women in those days, they relied solely on their husbands for them to be able to survive. So if you're a widow, you're stuffed. You, 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 you rely on handouts, effectively. And because the church grew, they also had an increase of widows in the church. And you know what the church did? Let's read on on Acts chapter 6. It says this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The thing that I want to point out here is this. In the early church, they never neglected prayer or the ministry of the word. Okay? But nor did they neglect the caring of widows. They never neglected the weakest members of their church. Instead, they appointed people who focused on this important job of caring for the widows and the apostles continued to preach and as you see the result of it when those two things are dealt with the church grew they multiplied in great numbers loving the church and evangelism goes hand in hand you cannot do one without performing the other You have to be excellent at both. It's not an option. 
So what's our key takeaways here? What's our key takeaways here? I would say that think of yourself and your role in the church and ask yourself, you know, what role do I play that advances the mission that Jesus gave his disciples? What role do I play that advances the mission that Jesus gave his disciples? What role do I play in loving the church? What can I do to grow in my love for the church? Those are really important questions to ask ourselves. Maybe like Peter and the other disciples who dedicated themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Or maybe like the widows in the early church, though weak and cannot work, but are always associated with prayer. Widow and prayer goes hand in hand all the time in the Bible. Maybe like the men chosen in Acts 6, those who are tasked to serve the weakest members of the church. Maybe like Stephen, who did both. He served the weakest members in the church, and at the same time, if we continue reading, we will find out that he was actually stoned to death because he proclaimed the gospel boldly. It is worth considering what part... You are playing in God's mission. Okay? And if you feel that you are not really part of this mission and you don't know what your part is in the Beckentry Church team, then it's it's really worth speaking to Rob or myself, right? And talking through these things. Remember what we said, right? Remember what we said from, from last week's sermon. That bearing fruit, bearing much fruit, is your life's purpose. Bearing much fruit is your life's purpose. And if your life's purpose is not aligned to Jesus' mission statement to reach the world, then there is something that needs to be adjusted there. Okay? Okay? This is, of course, words that Jesus gave to his 11 disciples. And so some might wonder to themselves, I don't even know where I fit in. And I'm starting to get concerned already because this is not how my life is. Again, I encourage you, you know, speak to Rob or myself and maybe we can talk about this. You know, I will end there, but I'm sure, you know, you have questions that you want to ask, you know. Do write them down and we can discuss them in our small, small groups on Wednesdays and we can talk about them and, and maybe talk through, you know, what is your part in the mission, you know? Where, where do you fit in and, and how can you grow for, for your love for the church? These are really important questions to ask and you have to keep asking yourself this. You have to keep bearing fruit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again for um, this wonderful truth. And we thank you that you have chosen us and you have appointed us to go on a mission to tell everybody about you. We pray, Lord, that you will equip us. We know, Lord, that there's so many things we can't do. But you promised us, Lord, that whatever we ask for, you will give us, you will provide to us. And we pray, Lord, that we will listen to you when you said, love one another. 
Help us, Lord, to love one another, especially the weakest members of our church. Amen. Amen.